that journey of discovering self and others is the grandest adventure anybody can go on. And it's endless because we're mysteries and we're always becoming. Welcome everyone to this another interesting episode on uh, WorkPod. Today we have with us uh, Teresa Roche and she is the Chief Human Resource Officer for City of Fort Collins. And, and she is one of our first guests who is coming from the public sector or at least working on government side and, and trying to, and it would be an interesting conversation with her. So Teresa, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. So uh, before we kick off, love to know your journey. Like what brought you to this point? My journey till this point? Yes. Given that I'm going to be 65 on June 19th, it's been quite a journey. <laughs> so how much time do you want me to spend on telling my journey? I just go all, all in. Okay. All right. You asked for it. <laughs> well, I'm going to start with saying that I was the, born as the youngest of seven children, and I had five older brothers and one older sister. And I was born in 1956, close to Chicago, Illinois. And why I start there is that was an interesting time to be born. I'm in what's called the baby boomer generation. My father was a World War II a veteran. He had been in a prisoner of war for 13 months. And my family really shaped me in terms of having the lens to a community. And both my parents were very involved in various um, political activities, community activities. And I start there because it gives you a sense of something that's been a thread on my journey. I went to Purdue University and received a double major starting college in 1974, and I finished in 79 with my bachelor's because I did have two majors. And back then, I thought I wanted to become a therapist, a teacher, always in a profession of being connected to people. And I knew I didn't want to stop at a bachelor's, so I went into a master's program, and there I specialized in counseling. And I had so many people, Vishal, that have uh, mentored me, coached me, been very present in my life. So that's the second theme. Not only did I want to be in a, a, a place of contributing to humanity, the third theme is that I've had many good people in my life. And some of the people that mentored me at the age of 19 are still very active in my life. One of my closest friends is Betty Nelson, who lives in West Lafayette, Indiana, and I'm very close to her. She saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, and that's forever shaped me. After my master's, one of my mentors, uh, Dick Stewart, said to me, Teresa, watching you, I'm really thinking you should work for the private sector. And I was like, what? No. And he said, the only company I can imagine you considering is Hewlett Packard. And back then, Hewlett-Packard was in its heyday. Dave and Bill, the two founders, were still very involved. So at, in 1981, I went out to the Bay Area to work for a company that I had no idea what I was doing. And I say I was their token because they'd never hired someone with my background. And Vishal, what I loved about that is I learned um, uh, love can exist in business. Hmm. And I thought I'd be the one defending the masses of people. And I was the one that was saying, hey, we're not holding people to account for their performance. Back then, it was heavy manufacturing. We had really interesting situations. And so 
that was a defining chapter in my journey because I learned that there are good people in every institution and that you can care deeply about people and make a profit. They are not mutually exclusive. And there was no better place for me to start than HP because I learned a lot about mm. customers contributing to the community. I went to a small startup, which was a great uh, experience to go to a small startup that went public because after being at Hewlett Packard, where everything was provided, there was corporate resources for so many good things. I went to the startup and it's like, oh, you want to do something for quality? Well, let me oh no, it's me. So you had to figure out everything in such a small team. I was then asked to be a chief human resources officer for high-tech company in the Sierra foothills of California. And that was a remarkable chapter. Um, I had not wanted to serve in the top role when I was younger because I knew that I wasn't ready for that. And then as I shared with you earlier, at the age of 39, my husband and I brought Kai into the world um, and we went back to Purdue for our doctorates. And people say, how could you leave an executive mm. role, house in the woods? And I said, how could I not? And um, we spent five and a half years at Purdue, got my doctorate. My main focus at that time was being the mom of Kai and I could think of no greater part of my journey than to have given birth to this remarkable human being. Um, and then HP hired me again off campus at the age of 45. And that's how I came to Fort Collins, Colorado. I was at HP for a little bit. And then Agilent Technologies, which had split from HP in 1999, I wasn't there then. They called me and the subject line of the email was come home because I knew a lot of the people from Agilent. And I went to Agilent and I was a global executive. I stayed in Colorado. My team was worldwide. And it was one of the most maturing chapters I had because I stayed long enough to really see if what we were doing in the system was working. And later on, you may ask me about one of my most inspirational leaders. And I'll talk about the CEO at that time who um, was the first line manager I ever worked with in 1981. And then I was back with him in 2002. So I took some time after leaving Agilent. Uh, I wanted to scare myself, which sounds pretty interesting. But after working so long at one company, I wanted to see if I could meet new people. What was my point of view about talent? What was my point of view about business strategy? Because when you're connected to an organization, you tend to tell the story through those lens. And I got to do some great consulting work. And I'd hope one day... I could work for the city that I'd lived in since 2001 mm. and contribute more directly. And the city happened to have an opening for the chief HR officer. And um, if you wanted to ever hear a delightful story, they didn't choose me at first to even interview because I'd never worked in the public sector. And then I think as a lot of life is, it was serendipitous. Mm. And they hired me in 2016 and just like when I went to the private sector in 1981, I had no idea what I was doing. And it has been one of the most fulfilling and uh, intense, challenging opportunities. And that brings me to you today. Mm. Um, so I said that my family of origin, being community-oriented, 
um, the fact that I always was going to be in a, a path of work and life that was connected to people. I've had good mentors and coaches and wonderful people all my life. And what you might have also picked up from my journey is I like to keep learning and I'm not afraid to go into the unknown um, because I have a confidence that somehow it'll all work out if you're working with good people. That's that's fascinating, and thank you for walking us through that. So I, I remember talking to uh, one of the one of the someone some of the executive from the federal um, one of the one of the agencies there, and and I was talk, I was talking to him about what is the most fascinating like what workers they enjoy working with, and I was I was talking about the, tell me about your aspirational leader or I, I ask this question to everyone I meet, and and he said Vishal, you know what. And any time, whenever we see uh, someone coming from the private sector, it's always fun to see those people. I said, tell me why. He said, because obviously they bring sort of a totally different mindset and they have very lack um, of respect for when it comes to patients and how the, how the public sector moves. And on one yeah. side, we enjoy their pace. On the other side, we really enjoy breaking their their dreams and passion and hope of moving things quickly and transforming the organization from gut up. I said, it's, it's tell me about your your experience. How has your experience been? Sure. Well, since I knew nothing of what I was going to walk into, I was very open. And I need to tell you, um, Fort Collins moves at a, an amazing speed. It does take more time to get certain things done because of the political process. And in the heart of democracy is listening to multiple voices. Um, but I actually, and people that worked with me before will not believe this, I work more intensely, more hours being in the public sector. And what I would say just as one thought is things come at you fast because the mm. world keeps bringing changes. The pandemic, we had the two largest fires in the state of Colorado last year in our county. Things just happen. And sometimes to act on a few of them takes a little bit longer. But any intensity that I felt before, I'm feeling uh, doubly so mm. being a public servant. <laughs> Interesting. And um, I, I love your perspective on the role of a civic body when it comes to training the localized workforce. Because we have been hearing a lot about future of work. We have been hearing a lot yeah. about the impact of automation technology on, on, on uh, low-skilled workers and workers. So from your vantage point, what is the role of a city when it comes to delivering um, employment and uh, opportunities to its, to its citizens? Well, Vishal, I just recorded a video this week for the Talent Summit that the Chamber of Commerce is hosting and the city of Fort Collins is one of the sponsors. And what I said in a one minute video is we are one of the largest employers in our county. Hmm. So we are participant in attracting and retaining talent to serve the community. The second is we're a regional partner. So we have been actively involved in a, a project called Talent 2.0, which created a website so employers could put mm -hmm. their positions on there so that we could make available to people considering 
this area, the school systems, the cultural events. And the third was that we are a platform. And what I mean about that third P is, for example, the city has embarked because the voters approved it on creating our own broadband. Hmm. So the fact that we're having a high-speed internet service will allow businesses, Colorado State University, Front Range uh, Community College, to have that as a platform to connect globally at a speed that is pretty amazing. Also, the things that we do for small businesses is part of being that platform. Our utilities, Vishal, matter. Mm. So we're very blessed that a number of companies have headquartered here um, because we have an amazing university. And I think our city does a lot to provide a platform that people can come here and work. Does that answer your question? No, I, I think so. I think so. And um, on that note, um, I, I'm curious to learn. So uh, one of the very interesting, um, and, and when I was talking to you and when, when we, dis- we were talking before the call as well, one of the things that was fascinating to me was the spectrum of talent pool that, that you manage. Yes. Right, so because mm-hmm. you are, as, as you rightly said, you are one of the largest employer um, on, on on the city. So, how do you how do you manage? Because I, if you are working in an enterprise, typically the the worst and as like the the spectrum of talent pool that you are managing are it's not pretty f- uh, thrown f- uh, far apart. You are talking about healthcare workers. You are talking about uh, uh, city dwellers. You are talking about like the slew of um, the talent pool. Walk us through that. What what all uh, sure. entails to manage that kind of workforce? Yeah, um, I love that question because I work with close to twenty four hundred colleagues. So, Vishal, if you look at what a city provides to a community, the portfolio of services starts from bus operators who um, make sure that transportation is happening, getting people to and from work or to and from other shopping centers. Um, We provide the maintenance of streets. So we have street operators. And um, if you ever want to know how much innovation there can be in asphalt, come to the city of Fort Collins. (laughs) Um, We have traffic engineers who monitor the signals and how traffic flows are happening. We have police officers. Uh, crime analysts, because we have the police force as part of the city. The firefighters are not part of the city, but I provide uh, benefits and other services to the fire agency. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you look at the utilities we provide, and we're a five-utility city, which is not always usual. Mm -hmm. Um, Water, uh, wastewater, um, stormwater, electricity. So we have light and power. And then the fifth is broadband. Um, So we have workers that are underground, you know, taking care of the utility because they're built underground all the way to engineers. Um, And then we have finance, the internal services. And then the last area, as I look across our, our spectrum of talent, we have a department called community services which is parks, and we have award-winning parks here in Fort Collins, recreation, which is providing facilities and experiences from youth through our senior center, and then cultural services. We have a beautiful Lincoln Center where we put on um, Broadway touring shows, 
and we have a very unique department that's starting to become more the norm now, sustainability services, which brings together economic development, environmental services, and social services. That's a big range of talent. And I had not realized how diverse mm. the people I would be serving were going to be. And it makes for a rich and vibrant life. <laughs> so so that, that's that's fascinating so how do you how do you manage that like how do you um so say learning and development of these people or developing of this workforce or with this diverse pool of workforce how do you even start that journey walk mm -hmm. us through that sure so vishal what i'd say is you first have to decide what are the things horizontally that mm. you want everyone that is an employee of the city to know or understand or act on. So we look at what goes across the city and those are oftentimes unifying activities. So um, we develop pay ranges across all of those different disciplines. We have an orientation onboarding that goes across all of those. We have a common managing at the city development program that we do. Um, we bring our managers together. There's about 320 of them twice a year for a large meeting. So we find what matters. We're all connected to a common mission, vision, and values. So think horizontally and then you go vertically. So mm. police officers need a whole lot of training. Mm. And we just opened a police training academy, and the police have some people on, on staff that do that development. Utilities, many of them need continuous training, um, like how to climb up the pole kind of thing. Mm. So there's vertical, you know, um, orientation to that. So I would say that my team and I look horizontal and look at the commonalities, and then departments and managers look at what they need to do vertically to support the unique skills or specialization of the various pools of talent. That's interesting. And um, so yesterday I was talking to um, one of the private equity firm that, um, so they acquire uh, retail stores and basically they, they, they manage a slew of retail re retail stores um, around the globe. And, and they were talking about that uh, one of the largest uh, employer of uh, unskilled or low-skilled work workforces, retail as well. And because of this pandemic impact, the people are slightly more comfortable uh, in buying and selling things online compared to uh, going to a retail brick and mortar store and doing those things. And and cities, um, on that note, majorly uh, manages that kind of infrastructure as well, where there are malls and there are sort of uh, shopping outlets. So what is, what is your take on... Um, considering whatever has happened over the last one and a half year, um, the impact of this new reality that's emerging where low-skilled workers have slightly lesser opportunities than they used to, and they and it require, and it, uh, this ecosystem demands maybe retraining or readjusting the expectations for many of these workforce. What's, what, what are you seeing from, from, from your, your vantage point? Sure, there's a lot in that. And so let me unpack it a little bit. Yeah. Um, for us, 
we continually have uh, people that stay here long enough that they're able to retire. Mm. So we have opportunities for people to be promoted from within or hire new talent from the outside. So we have quite a bit of, of an employment engine, if you will. Um, as far as the community, when we look at what's happened with the pandemic, we actually have industry sectors. And our funding, Vishal, is from uh, sales tax and use mm. fees. Mm. And yes, certain sectors like hotels went down in their sales tax, but retail, grocery stores, restaurants mm. actually increased mm. because we got very creative and looked at um, ways to support our small businesses, the restaurants, for example, through creating outdoor dining but also we have this wonderful delivery service and sometimes the city gives incentives for free delivery. Um, so I, I, we've seen where uh, restaurant workers were probably one of the biggest hits. And mm -hmm. so there's been some efforts by the city to help um, with them. The thing you have to understand is Fort Collins, um, we actually fared pretty well, not only in the 2008 downturn, but during the pandemic, our revenue stream only dropped a little over 4% year over year mm. because of the fact that sales tax mm. in the total market shifted. And the other thing is online shopping. You may have followed what's happening there. We're actually able to collect taxes when people in this community buy from Wayfair, Amazon, mm. uh, Zappos, and that actually. Um, was a stream of revenue that was very helpful. And um, Michelle, the other thing that we have going for us is we have a land-grant institution that's world-class mm -hmm. Colorado State University. Mm -hmm. So that's why this particular area, we fare better because we have a mixed industries. We have remarkable educational institutions, a remarkable healthcare system. So I don't know that my experience would be the same as other major cities or small communities uh, that that's great and and uh, one one more fascinating thing that that i want to learn from you is uh, if reliving what what we have already lived it, it has been painful year uh, year and a half um so now if if, if imagine um, yourself um, maybe on 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 march getting into may or uh, getting into april and then you realize this thing is happening and it's hitting cities and businesses fast. Walk us through how have how has you reacted and how would have you would have done differently uh, uh, like after one year of of learning and, and understanding these ecosystems. Well, Shal, um, I want to tell a couple of stories as evidence for how remarkable our response was. So as a public sector, a, a city municipality delivering services to the community, we had all kinds of emergency plans already mm. created because you have to think, wow, if there's a major storm, a major fire, uh, some bioterrorism, how do you keep the lights on? How do you make sure water keeps getting to people? What will you think about for transportation? So we were actually really prepared for these kinds of scenarios. You have to be because of the nature mm. of what we provide to the community. The other thing is um, 
yesterday we had a panel of our leaders ask them how have they changed? What did they learn? What did they do with their teams over this past pandemic, mm. you know, year plus mm. now? Mm. Um, and one of the women, uh, Zoe Shark from Natural Area said, she never realized how fast we could respond. So mm. I will tell you amazing stories of how we knew to um, close facilities, how we had um, automation in terms of our technology available for us to still connect virtually. We figured out how to hold city councils in a virtual environment. The speed at which we responded was mind boggling. And yet it's in our DNA to be able to respond to emergencies. The other story, and I'll close after this one, is I really love my city manager. Darren Atterbury is a remarkable human being. He's been a city manager for over 20 years, which you don't always see, and he keeps everything fresh. When we saw that the pandemic was coming and we had no idea, Vishal, how long, mm. I said, Darren, what story do we want told at the end, even though we didn't know when the end was? Mm. And we created an overarching goal about how we wanted to still serve the community by having an uh, adaptable, competitive workforce and also being good stewards of the financial funds that were given to us. So at the center was our talent. And then we developed guiding principles to focus on top community needs, to have culture, and remember it has an economic value. And I am delighted to say that while we furloughed hourly employees that sometimes work one hour a week, sometimes longer in the facilities that the public uses, so mm -hmm. recreation, we actually paid them for a month and a half. And then we realized this was going to continue. But we did not lay off or furlough um, our full-time employees. And I am grateful for that because um, humanization is the way we approached it with those we serve and those talented members that are my colleagues. So I hope that answers your question enough. But I yes, no, any I think follow up. I, I'm totally open to yes. I think um, absolutely. And and one one on that same note, I want some insights from you on. So if you take something from what you have seen as an HR leader for for a city, and if you uh, sort of deploy some of those play playbooks that has helped you uh, have gone through this this rapid um, era of uh, or a rapid time of totally not sure what's happening or where the locus of control is outside the organization what are some of some of the tenets that you can take to uh, to your private private um, hr leader self what are some of the playbooks and some of the things that have really helped uh, you manage this diverse pool successfully over this this area of pretty scary and uh, we're not sure what's going on at times? Yeah. Well, um, that's a great question. And I'm going to answer it in two ways. The first is we looked at what are the leadership practices that go on regardless of the pandemic? Hmm. And for example, um, quarterly conversations on performance and development. We came out with a new playbook on how do you do that in a virtual world? 
How do you do it when you're not going to be face-to-face? How do you use the technology? And we also gave guidance on the pandemic impacted some people's ability to work full-time. And so how do you talk about performance when the same amount of work was not able to be done? Because we did a lot for our working caregivers, Vishal, um, because not having school happen in a physical building, not being able to to go out impacted our workers. So um, I say that as one I one thing that we did where we readjusted, we adapted the lens on critical leadership practices. We normally do a very uh, large engagement survey. We chose not to do it for expense, but we came out with pulse surveys using technology that we had. So we didn't abandon the things that matter most in leading people. Second thing is um, we created stuff on the fly. And Vishal, I may have told you this before. In March, I took my team and I said, how are we going to love people through this? And that kind of became our rallying cry. So we started doing check-ins weekly, first for our managers on topics to help them lead virtual teams, how to build resilience. And then we realized employees wanted the same. So in April, Mm. we brought up a weekly check-in for our employees. And we have been doing that since the pandemic. And it's been remarkable, the speakers that are willing to do it virtually, either at no cost or minimal costs. So. that was a new adaptation. We've never done that before. And now it's going to be really hard not to find a way to continue that because the turnout at these sessions weekly has been quite beautiful. Interesting. I think one thing that's fascinating uh, from everyone who has come out out of this, or at least coming out of this uh, pandemic uh, timelines are, uh, they all have seen uh, an improved communication. I think one of the one of the sort of rallying commonality, I, at least we have picked from our conversation with a lot of businesses, is they all increase the communication because people are panicking. Their anxiety is all time high, so you, they they start communicating more and more. So yep. from uh, and, and I commend you for that for sure. So one thing um, I want to understand from you is um, so looking at something that you could have done better. Like if if you grade yourself and say, okay, these are some things that maybe we we could have reacted um, a bit differently, or 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 could have done something more. Have you mm-hmm. have you really got a time time to reflect on that? Absolutely, um, Vishal. Before I answer that, your response about communication, I just want to amplify. Mm-hmm. We really shape shifted. And the city manager sends weekly updates. We did employee-wide forms virtually. So clearly, we made some really strategic choices about communication. My team actually created a SharePoint site with our IT department to just have all kinds of stuff easily Mm. accessible. So I love that what none of us wanted, a pandemic, Mm. Mm. helped us up our game on communication. Mm-hmm. And um, that's been one of my favorite parts. So your question, what what could we have done differently or what would we do differently? Um, Vishal, what's been really hard is we, for financial reasons, put a pause on a merit increase budget. 
Mm. And um, because we didn't know what was going to happen with the revenue. Um, and I wish now that we saw that things did not drop as much as they did, I wish there had been some way to provide some economic validation and uh, consideration for our employees. Um, I will tell you, people don't work for money, mm. but it still matters to create a life and a life that you want to give your family. So in hindsight, um, I wish we could have done something to thank people through a monetary award. Interesting. Wow. Um, and and one more thing I was thinking about. So um, before you join in the city, you're coming from a, from a private mindset. You Life a bit structured. Businesses are pretty structured. Expectations are, are clearly slightly better defined. And then you get into this this sort of um, slightly more chaotic environment than, 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 a, than a typical private enterprise. Walk us through your initial couple of days or weeks or months. How do you adjust your expectations to 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 fit the this new reality of managing di- slightly more diverse workforce and and leading them? Like what what does it that that entails? So Vishal, do you mean like managing the expectations of results? So, or managing so, the employee experience. So managing yourself, right? So so now you are coming from leading a private enterprise to now living mm-hmm. now leading a city, and and and, and their infrastructure, human resource infrastructure. Sure. So how do you pre- prepare yourself uh, in this newfound reality? Well, the good news is, and this has been in place long before I got to the city. We have a leadership system that starts with listening to the community and gets direction from city council. So we have a city plan that is a five to 10 year, sometimes 20 lookout. And then every year we make it a strategic plan with outcomes. So what helps us is we had clarity on what were we going to do and discussions were had on what do you need to build a firewall around? Like, no mm. kidding. You can't choose not to provide electricity. But for health and safety protocol reasons, many of our facilities for recreation, swimming pools, cultural events were closed. Mm. Golf actually stayed open. and It was a banner year for golf. Um, so... What I'm trying to say is we had clarity of what we committed to so that we could decide what had to continue. And with my own team, we have very um, detailed plans. We immediately got together and said, what do we build the firewall around? Like, what do we not, no kidding, have to do? And we were in the middle of a major uh, retirement administrative shift. I couldn't stop that. And then we said, where can we let go, delay? Uh, stop doing automate um, so that we could free up capacity for new customized projects related to the pandemic. Um, Had the city not had all these processes in place, it would have perhaps been more chaotic, but it worked for us um, because of just really amazing systems in place um, that city manager and others have led us years before I got here to uh, do does that answer the question or do you have another one as a result so, so it is i think it, it it partially is i think what i what i really wanted to understand from you is um how had like how was how were you navigating yourself through this Me. Ge- yes Me. Pers- personally 
through through ah. this through this uh, this change expectations as you're going from private to a to a public sector. I see. Sorry, I think I completely missed that question. The first, um, Vishal, the first thing I must say is I don't think I could have ever come to this position any sooner than I did. And the reason why I say that is um, if you know the Enneagram, which for me is the greatest GPS system for understanding self and others, I am hardwired, like genetically <laughs> coded to sense, see, feel needs. Hmm. And in a community where everyone has needs and they believe you should meet all of them because it's a democracy, I would have discombobulated my mm. first week because there's more demand than I have capacity personally or on my team to meet. So had I not done so much development about discernment, I would have become overwhelmed. And even then, Vishal, I still did deeper development because I thought, I don't know if I can keep going when there's more than I've ever had to do before. Mm. And I went to Meg Wheatley's program, uh, uh, Warrior for the Human Spirit, which gave me great development on how to be present to demand and not get lost. And I think I learned that in the private sector, but I feel as if what's happening here is so new and so fresh, but I'm so grateful that I had been more conscious and actively developing myself to be in a role like this. Um, the other thing I'm going to tell you is that when I first got here, I said, you know, I think I kind of like monarchies more mm. than democracies because in the private sector, we could declare and we could discern, like, we're not going to go the low end of the market because we don't have mm. enough engineers to work on that software code. Here, you don't get to always make that kind of choice as much as we do discern. Um, and I, I am just so grateful that uh, the private sector instincts of discernment helped me, you know, come into this. But the monarchy part was, uh, it is demanded, and it is almost a moral obligation to engage more people in what it is you're going to do. So I have had to really rethink, how many people do you ask for their inputs before you make a decision? And so that's why I said the monarchy, you mm. know, my last CEO at Agilent, we could just declare stuff. Mm. Um, here, you you just cannot, nor should you. Mm. Mm. That was a real adjustment. I was like, well, can't we just decide and make it happen? No, that's not the nature of democracy. Interesting. And on, on, on that note, how would you influence such system? Influence? So you are coming, yes, so, so mm -hmm. you're, coming, you're coming from a, obviously, um, as, as you rightly pointed out, you can influence pretty quickly. Your CEO is on board, you are on board, let's, uh, let's meet, uh, rubber meets the road and just keep things going. Now with, sure. with, with something like City, it's as, as rightly pointed out, it's age old, system is well built, it takes time. Now yeah. you want you want certain changes. Like, how would you go about influencing such a system? Like, what are some of your hacks if you can share? Yeah. So that question pulls two thoughts for me. 
The first one, Vishal, that I think is part of my genetic code, and it was enhanced working where I did all these years, is I look for what's the opportunity or performance gap. So I took time to understand, just like I did at every company I ever worked at or consulted for, what are they trying to turn out? Like, what's the business of the organization? Because I always tell people I'm first and foremost a business executive, and then I happen to be in HR. Mm -hmm. So when you understand your customer, and in this case, the customer's customer, the community, and you line up what you are offering, it's impossible for people not to want it. The second thing is... um, I looked at our city council as a board of directors because that was my experience from the private sector. And um, I started talking to the mayor about talent and how were they leading their talent, which are the three council uh, appointed employees, the city manager, city attorney, chief judge. And we ended up creating an ad hoc committee of the council where three members served. And we now have a new section in the council resource guide called leading talent. Mm. So it was through series of conversations, asking questions, and then seeing how that could hook into a natural process in the city, which was an ad hoc committee of the council. It's been a two-year journey. Um, And it was very rewarding to have them start to say, yeah, how we lead our people, the the talent that they uh, hire and retain matters greatly. Um, So Vishal, that was a a very rich and rewarding part. And I don't know that I thought I was influencing as much as I thought the center of everything is your talent. Mm, Interesting. That's that's fascinating, and um, and I wonder um, if if you look at your peers uh, from say other cities, and and other public sectors, what are some of the common um, or what are some of the pitfalls that you see that other leaders are not doing that they should um, in 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 other cities who are not probably managing as well as as your city is like what have you ever given any thought on that. Well, Michelle, I actually, every two weeks, was invited to a group of major city, like I'm talking Denver, Mm. uh, you know, major cities, Los Angeles, my peers, Mm. um, to talk about response to COVID. And Michelle, I have to tell you, um, some of them are doing remarkable, innovative work. And then locally, I get together with other public sector peers. And again, um, I'm deeply inspired by what I see and dispelling the myth that public sector cannot do some of the creative things that we did in the private sector. Um, I don't know uh, because I just don't know how many cities are as well run as Fort Collins. We were a Baldridge, Malcolm Baldridge recipient in 2017. Uh, I think we were the second municipality in the country that ever got that award. And we have many cities come to find out, well, what's the secret sauce? Um, And I really credit, well, many people, but I think having a leader as phenomenal as Darren Atterbury has made a huge difference. Um, So I, 
I think public sector is a lot cooler than people think. <laughs> fair point, fair point. So um, uh, tell me about um, your inspirational leader. I think so, uh, leader that has inspired you and, and, and walk us through what, what are those traits uh, or what are those aspects that has really inspired you that um, if you can walk us through that. Yeah, so Vishal, many people inspire me. I mean, I read historical biographies and I'm inspired by Abraham Lincoln, uh, Martin Luther King. I mean, so there's many that you read and know the effects of their leadership, but I'm going to talk near term. Mm -hmm. And I have one person from the private sector and one person from the public. So Bill Sullivan, who is the CEO of Agilent Technologies, was the first line manager I ever worked with in 1981. I was his personnel liaison for a three-shift manufacturing department that he ran. And I, I want to tell through the lens of the Enneagram, which I didn't know when I was working with Bill, he walks in the pattern of the eight, which is the action orientation, and I walk in the pattern of the two, which is a heart center. I saw that he had a big heart, and he saw that I was a kick-ass, get-stuff-done person. Mm -hmm. And I learned so much from Bill. He has a humility that is unbelievable. He is a curious learner, um, and he has a lot of wisdom. So when he asked me to come back to Agilent and eventually became the CEO, he transformed the company. Agilent, when it split from HP, was the at that time the biggest IPO because it mm. was you know mm. sold as a, a new publicly traded company, and then the dot com bust happened. And Agilent went through nine quarters of consecutive loss. I mean, telling the street, we didn't make our numbers again, nine quarters. Mm. Bill, when he was uh, identified as the CEO after a search by the board, said, we're going to go back to our basic competency and measurement. And he transformed the company. And he said, Teresa, it's as if we're starting it all over again. And what I loved about Bill is he would choose a theme, embed it, and then go to the next. So, I mean, I, I could write volumes about that time. Bill was willing to listen to people. Um, he knew when a decision needed to be made, and he taught me one of the things. He said, Teresa, the worst thing you could do is waste people's time as a leader. And sometimes waiting to make a decision is as bad as no decision. So he said, there's two parts to decision-making. You make the best decision on data and intuition, but then you see if it was okay, and if it's not, then make the second one to adjust it. That taught me a lot. Um, and so Bill was an inspirational leader of mine. In the public sector, the person I've already mentioned twice is Darren Atterbury. To stay in the game of serving a community and going through a number of different mayors and elected officials that serve on council. Uh, he reminds me of that great article that I think, I think the author was Bob Nadler, N-A-D-L-E-R. That's my recall. And it was called the CEO's second act. Hmm. And it was a brilliant article that a lot of CEOs that start up an organization aren't the ones to help it mature 
or you know if they go through an acquisition and very few CEOs can do a second act mm. the ones that did were the ones that are willing to learn and I think Darren Atterbury has a second act a third act a fourth act because <laughs> every time we have elections it's a new it's a new council mm. and he has navigated that beautifully and uh, watching him has taught me a lot about how you make a bigger table for more people to, to be at it. Interesting. And and what is um, so what is the role of a of a leader of an HR leader when it comes to say leading an organization through this transformative times? What do you say is uh, like, yeah walk us through that. Well, Vishal, there's a lot of articles out there and a lot of webinars that are done on how the pandemic was the demand for CHROs or, you know, chief people officers. It was uh, a lot of reliance on mm -hmm. those of us that talk about people strategies. And so um, I think some of the things I've said before, I'm always clear about what are we trying to accomplish to serve our community. And I am abundantly biased that the only way you can do any of that begins and ends with talent. Hmm. And I constantly learn how do we think about talent? How do you attract talent? How do you retain it? And things that I did in the 80s, are not necessarily what needs to be done now. Mm -hmm. um, and so I am a curious, insane learner. <laughs> and I read a lot, but more importantly, I connect to peers. And I still have so many relationships from the private sector, and now I have many in the public sector. So I don't assume that I know anything. But I do know how to go ask questions and find out, you know, good resources. That's so, that's, that, um, that's that's fascinating. So um, now let's let's um, up the um, let's fire up the uh, the conversation a bit. So we have we have a segment um, that we run called um, rapid fires. So and and typically in in the rapid fire is so I'll 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 I'll, I'll just usher a word and then okay. just just yell out whatever comes to your mind. I I definitely okay. want want your perspective. It's like a Rorschach test. Okay, yes. I can do it. <laughs> So, so yeah, so future of work. Compelling. Interesting. Technology. Uh, a great disruptor and enabler. Fair point. Uh, leadership. A privilege. Interesting. Uh, remote work. Um, full of possibilities and pitfalls. Hmm. Equity. It's a polarity. Well, um, Vishal, the possibilities for talent to work anywhere and to uh, optimize their life is beautiful. Mm. And people still need to have connection and community. And I can tell you that my colleagues have worked beautifully in all virtual and hybrid. People miss each other, though. Mm. And so, so one of the questions we're asking ourselves is, when do people need to physically be together? Mm. When do they need to be with customers? And if we don't get that right, 
the the thing that binds us, the culture, the connection, the community could become a pitfall. So I I am wide-eyed on the double-sided coin that remote work <laughs> brings us. Interesting. Um, e- um, equity. Critical. Interesting. Um, diversity. Beautiful. <laughs> Legislature. Essential. <laughs> <laughs> Jobs of future. Endless. Endless. What what's available and what will evolve. Interesting. Future of learning. Hmm. Never ending. Ubiquitous, continual, uh, breathing. (laughs) (laughs) Something exciting. Life. Wow, I think that's uh, pretty pretty interesting. Uh, Things that (laughs) keep that keep things that keeps you up at night. My dreams. (laughs) I'm a very active dreamer. And I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, whoa, I'll have to awaken that one because that was an interesting scene. So, yeah, Michelle, I love getting older. And um, (laughs) I remember the days that I would wake up and a monkey brain would come on. Uh, I have a remarkable therapist that really helped me um, learn how to relate to that differently. And because I feel like monkey chatter is waste. Hmm. And I think every moment we're alive is precious. Um, I bet I let very little keep me awake hmm. because that doesn't serve a lot of purpose, friend. Hmm. I also bit. think as I've aged, somehow you can always make it through. Hmm. Nothing should hijack us to believe that we have to lose hope or our optimism. That's very deep. <laughs> well, that's what people say about me is I tend to go very deep and I'm very See, intense. I think it's it's fascinating because I think very few times you actually um, uh, interact with leaders who are breadth as well as depth, which is pretty pretty interesting. Like so, it's 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 it it, it gives you a moment of okay, let's 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 ease a bit and just let's dive it's it's fascinating yeah. and, and and thank you for that so by the way um so now um last part of the conversation and uh, and yeah. th- and thank you so much for being so candid and 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 walking us through your journey so now let's talk about some of your personal um accomplishments so we ask all of our guests to to talk about some of the qualities that has helped them be successful and be whatever they are today what are your those qualities? Like, what are your those qualities for you? What qualities would you attribute your success to? So, um, I'm going to return to some of what I said in my life journey. We're all born curious. We all have that innate ability. Educational systems, other factors can cause us to lose that. I never have. So. You could bring me a physics book right now, and I would want to read it, and I could see how it applies to humanity. (laughs) So I think being curious all these years 
And I'm grateful that I had parents that never tried to stop that. Um, I think the other Vishal that has served me well, and it's a natural part of me, is the ability to connect to other humans. Hmm. Um, so that heart space and being able to be present to others and myself has been a gift. I also, um, it's interesting because I enjoy time alone so I can process and, you know, think. But I look through the lens of community. And whatever I do affects others. And I, I grew up with the belief that those of us that can should. And so mm. serving a bigger purpose um, you know, through community has been a defining part of who I am. And I can create it wherever I go because it's so natural for me. Interesting. Wow. Uh, thank you for walking us through that. And um, so we ask all of our guests to talk about some of their favorite reading, some of the books or some of the um, things that have inspired them or they're reading currently from their, their book list. Do you have some some reads for to share with our listeners and viewers? Yeah. Um, so you're only seeing one bookshelf behind me <laughs> because my husband and I sold our home and we're eventually going to go to a smaller home that we're designing. So I'm in a townhome and we didn't want to bring everything. And if I was ever going to lose my marriage, it would be over the number <laughs> of books that I have. But I call. So reading is a spiritual practice for me and an intellectual um, stimulation. I actually am asked all the time, what are the books that have informed me and shaped me? Mm. So I'm going to, I'm going to answer um, two different ways. I thought about what's one book that I could really point to mm. that helped me as a leader and um, any book by Doris Kearns Goodwin. I love, she's a, mm. a wonderful historian. Mm. Mm. But the book, A Team of Rivals, The Political Genius of Abraham Lincoln, mm. I read when it came out in the private sector, and it really helped me in that environment, and most assuredly, it's helping me in this one. Lincoln was called to a purpose bigger than himself. Mm. He did not try to move through his melancholy. He held both light and dark. And he was mercilessly made fun of by several. Mm. And he won the presidential election. And these other, in that time it was men, um, that said horrible things about him. He said, I cannot deny the nation the most intelligent people to help us at this time. And that's where the title came from, A Team of Rivals. Mm. So his humility, his grace under pressure, how he could hold his egoic state away from a deeper purpose. Um, I just, he is timeless in his teachings. Um, now, I will tell you that I thought I knew something about diversity and inclusion, and I may have, but it sure is a whole new world. So I have just been on a reading um deep reading on books like uh, Isabel Wilkerson's cast 
mm. uh, Dr. Zendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist, um, a beautiful book, My Grand Grandmother's Hands. Um, I've gone back and read James Baldwin, who I was introduced to in high school. Mm. So I am trying to wake up mm. and see things through a new lens. Um, so that's been a whole pattern of reading of mine lately. Now I'm going to stop because my list about things that I love to read <laughs> that are shaping me is I'll just share one other, just so you see that I read from a variety. I love reading quantum physics and chaos theory. Mm. I think those insights are helping us look at leadership today. Right. Um, and a author among the many that I love is Jody Picoult. And why I love her is she writes fiction she does deep character development on dilemmas or polarities mm -hmm. where you have no answer that is clear. And to go through a story where you might think, well, that was wrong, and then see the other perspectives, it just helped me hold gray more because mm -hmm. I see life now as a shades of gray and some things that are definitely black and white. Um, and she researches her topics. So I forget the name of the book, but I learned about humpback whales mm. because in her writing, I learned about autism through one of her books. So she, um, I, I love her books and I devour them like candy. Interesting. Uh, and uh, so jo Jody Picoult, you said? Yeah, it's P-I-C-O-U-L-T. Okay. I'll check that. Okay, awesome. So thank you for that. And it, this is this is fascinating list, by the way. Um, so now, last but not the least, so if you want our listeners and viewers to take away something from this conversation, what would that be? What would be your closing remark to our listeners and viewers? Local government can be great. On a personal level, Vishal, um, my teachable point of view, and I actually have a two-page paper I wrote, is about um, leadership being approached to one's life, not a position you hold. And I always ask myself, who am I to lead? So self-insight, consciousness, um, boy, I think that journey of discovering self and others is the grandest adventure anybody can go on. And it's endless because we're mysteries and we're always becoming. So local government can be great, which I've learned from working here at the city of Fort Collins. And boy, all transformation begins within. Hmm. Beautifully put. Uh, with that, I said thank you so, so much for uh, this splendid conversation. I think uh, we learned a lot and I think uh, um, so one of the one of the key takeaways that I, I I picked from your conversation is uh, communication is the key when things are uh, dark and 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 uh, foggy, and then obviously um, I, as you rightly pointed out the diversity is beautiful. So it takes yeah. so it's it takes an eye to understand and uh, and and then leverage whatever you have, and and then. Thank you for for leading a great organization. Thank you for um, all you are doing to help the community through this testing time. And, and I do appreciate you spending time with us on this podcast. Will you honor me? And as I said to you and you asked me, I'm always humbled when someone thinks I might have something to offer others. So thank you for that gift. Mm -hmm.
It's <laughs> uh it's precious to me. Thank you. I was homesick, never really knew that I would have to grow so quick.